Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are locked on nets. Your daily podcast on the Brooklyn Nets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Keep the trump blasting, toe tagging, I'm riding past them. Before you let them ride with the team, you got to ask them. Who got snaps on the Petro? Keep it real, keep it real, don't front, yo. Welcome to the Locked On Nets podcast, your daily dose of Nets news, analysis, and interviews. My name is David Wurzberger. I'll be your host. Thanks for tuning in. This is our first ever episode, so it's very exciting. Got a lot of fun things planned, and... Today you'll be hearing from Howard Megdal. He's written for Vice Sports, uh, Politico New York, USA Today Sports, and he's going to be talking to us about Jeremy Lin, uh, the Nets' biggest free agent acquisition this year, and probably from any year in recent history, uh, not counting players that were already on Brooklyn slash New Jersey that re-signed, Jeremy Lin's probably the big, not only the biggest name, but the biggest talent to sign uh, with the Nets from another team. And so that makes for an interesting discussion. I mean, what's he going to bring to the team? Uh, to me, he's an average starting point guard uh, that, that can sort of sway either way depending on the situation. So just how good is the situation for him on the Nets? It's definitely going to be better than it's been the past few years with him bouncing around Houston, L.A., Charlotte. And uh, Megnell's coming on, and he's a terrific journalist. You're going to really enjoy his analysis. It's coming with a hot take on exactly what we're going to see from Jeremy Lin. And keep tuned with uh, the rest of the podcast on the Locked On Network because we're all talking about point guards today. Now, before we get into our conversation, let's just take a moment real fast, handle some business. Before we get back to the rest of the show, uh, if you enjoy it, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, those reviews really help us and can make the show bigger and better. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor the Locked On Nets podcast, we reach a great deal of Nets fans at affordable rates too so email us at lockedonnets at gmail.com if you're a fan and you want to submit a question maybe have it answered on the show you can email us that was lockedonnets at gmail.com or tweet us we're at lockedonnets on twitter now back to the show joining us now on the locked on nets podcast howard megdal you can find his writing at usa today vice sports politico new york he covered linsanity back when uh, it, you know, popped off in New York. And he's joining us now for the inaugural episode, first ever. How's it feel? It feels pretty good. Thank you. I, I mean, to be on your podcast and to talk <laughs> about this subject, that combination can't be. Thank you very much for coming on. And the reason I wanted you to come on is because we had a conversation recently. And you are... You the one where you were wrong, right? Uh, we'll find crazy, out because you're you're right about almost everything. So I'm actually <laughs> surprised you're wrong about this. But you know, you're convinced that we're going to see Linsanity back or production similar to it, yeah. with Jeremy Lin on the Nets this year. I am, and I my my plan for this podcast is to have guests come on and you know give their knowledge out. And me sit quietly in the back, so uh, so you know I don't get in the way of the actual smart people. But I, I'm going to challenge you on this. And so give Bring the people it. your reasoning and exactly what you see from him this year. So in summary, Jeremy Lin's entire career since the moment Linsanity ended 
has been almost engineered to keep him from being able to accomplish the things you'd want him to accomplish in the NBA. Um, so let's just take you through sort of a brief narrative. Lynn excelled with the Knicks, not because, you know, as commonly and, um, and, and incorrectly uh, stated, he had some sort of shooting hot streak. He actually only shot 44% from the field, um, if memory serves, 32% from three um, what, during Lynn's sanity. What he excelled at was he had the ball in his hands, which allowed him to get to the basket at will, something he does very well, a plus-plus deal of his, along with an incredible ability to distribute. He had a 41% assist percentage, uh, which is just astronomical off the charts uh, for, uh, you know, in that 35-game, 25-start period with the Knicks. It requires him having the ball in his hands almost all the time. Uh, before he played another regular season NBA game, after signing with the Houston Rockets, the Rockets went ahead and brought in James Harden. Um, there's no knock on Harden, you know, one of the best players in the league. But Harden, as everybody listening to this knows, requires having the ball in his hands. So suddenly Lynn was being asked to do something very different. He was asked to be uh, an off-the-ball uh, player to hit threes, which he does at, you know, a reasonable but not a particularly great rate uh, throughout his career. And, by the way, was asked to play uh, a disproportionate amount of the defense in the backcourt as well, um, which is fine, but, again, you know, takes him away from the things that he does best, the things that... Uh, uh, if I can interrupt so you for a second, are yes. you trying to say James Harden doesn't pick up enough of the load on defense? Because I, I, I think you're going to... I mean, enough is, some people with that. enough is such a subjective word, but but a, a comically <laughs> small amount, let's put it that way. So, so that was his experience in Houston, and he put up league average numbers, which is pretty impressive considering he was asked to be a fundamentally different player. Um, and I was very excited. I remember during the summer uh, when he was about to get traded, there was uh, talk he would go to Philadelphia where he could have had the ball in his hands, run the offense, and we could have, you know, at least, you know, wouldn't have had a lot of talent around him, but at least you'd get sort of a freer hand. And, and honestly, a similar situation to what you're going to see in Brooklyn, although obviously the cupboard was a lot bare. Um, but that's not what happened. He got sent to the Lakers, to the one place where you had the one more ball-dominant player in all of the NBA than James Harden in Kobe Bryant, uh, who... <laughs> Didn't pick up much of the defensive load at that point in his career either, you know, in sort of a Diana Taurasi kind of way. So the net <laughs> result that you end up seeing is that until the moment that Lynn came uh, to Charlotte, he wasn't getting much of an opportunity to be himself. But in Charlotte, he did he get some chance to do it. Um, you, you know, he was essentially, though, running Kemba Walker's offense. Um, but every chance you'd see where, you know, there was there was a game Harden got injured and Lynn was asked to do insanity things back, back in Houston. He scored 38 points against the San Antonio Spurs. You know, he had similar games like that to go through the game lodge with the Lakers as well, and even some with, with Charlotte. What we don't know is whether Lynn, on a regular basis, given the opportunity to have the ball in his hands, and part of that's rhythm, by the way. Part yep. of that is just flat-out rhythm. And getting that opportunity to do it game after game, minute after minute, uh, you know, watching it firsthand, you saw it as well. Lynn would find it during the course of the game. He, you know, he'd identify those opportunities. So, 
you know, even when you get to the opportunity in fits and starts here, it's just it's just different than what you had. He's he's a real young man. He's in his mid twenties. There's no reason to think he's uh, anywhere past his prime. In fact, his best years ought to be ahead of him. And so I've spent a lot of time in talking to Jeremy through the years, written about him uh, for a number of different publications, and he knew. And I think he was smart enough to know anyway. He knew that you needed to find the right fit. And he knew it because he had the absolute significant example, hard won through life, of how bad it could be in the wrong situation over this period of time. So put him in Brooklyn. uh, Put him with a coach who understood, you know, look, the ball needs to be in his hands. He needs to get 30, 35 minutes a game. You know, maybe not write him like Secretariat, as uh, our friend Mike D'Antonio once said, uh, but certainly give him the opportunity to be himself. And, uh, yeah, I'm real optimistic. A guy who put up player efficiency ratings, you know, 14-15 over the course of some really difficult uh, challenges in years, put up, I, my memory serves, what did you say, 19-9 um, during Linsanity? Um, yeah, I, I, my expectations for it are somewhere in that neighborhood. And I, and I don't view insanity as the ceiling either. And it's important to mention, Drew, you're, you're not a stan. You're, you're an objective basketball observer and one of the smartest I know. But I'm going to challenge you on a few it. of these points here. Please, please do. You, you mentioned him having to be on the ball. That is absolutely correct. He needs and the ball. And can I also say, by the way, I, can be, I could be wrong. It's entirely possible. I don't even know much about the present. So you know I what? may not know about the future. <laughs> So, but, list, but in terms our of my listeners are hoping, are hoping you're not. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I, <laughs> as am I, frankly, because boy, I'd sure love to see it. Yeah, but you, you mentioned he needs the ball in his hands, and that's true. He, it's just the player he is. He's not really a combo guard. He doesn't have the three point shot. Um, but is that enough to really get him back to those insanity levels? Because first of all, you mentioned he's mid twenties. He's actually twenty eight. And and his efficiency wasn't quite there last year. And I'm not saying, oh, he's declining already. That could be anything. But that that's just one point. You mentioned that the defense, he had to pick up the flack with James Harden and Kobe Bryant in his backcourts. I don't think Brooklyn's going to have a very good defense. It, it's quite possible their only good defender in the starting five is going to be a sophomore, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. You know? And then, and then there's also... As far as offensive fit, when he was with the Knicks, he had Tyson Chandler, one of the best rim runners uh, of his time, maybe ever. Maybe ever. You had yeah. uh, a lot of spacing around him. You know, they, they were they were uh, they were running small ball, basically with uh, Carmelo and Stoudemire out. The Nets, Brook Lopez isn't exactly known for his rim running, for his pick and pop. That, that's not really his game so much. And he had Deron Williams on his team for for quite a while. Uh, they also, yes, they also don't which, have a lot of guys who like to run. Which What's Williams, that? though? I'm just saying, which Williams? <laughs> you, had Brooklyn, you had Brooklyn Williams, which if if he had failed to catch... And, and by the way, I, I don't think it would be fair or even reasonable to ask Brooke Lopez to be anywhere close to Tyson Chandler, who is one of the more underrated players of the past 20 years, a guy known for his defense, yet somehow has you know, efficiency levels unheard of in terms of his, you know, true shooting percentage and such. Um, but at the same time, that Darren Williams on a on a day-to-day basis simply was not getting to the hoop. 
It just, yeah. if I had seen him with Utah Jazz Williams, I'd be more confident about what Brooke Lopez is capable of with a point guard who's who's able to get to the basket that well. Um, but I'm I'm curious, and and frankly, I'm curious about situations where Lynn's able to get to the hoop as frequently as he has in the past, and and kick to a jump shooting Brooke Lopez. I, I think that alone is going to open up opportunities for Lopez. So uh, I I. I'm not disagreeing with your point. I would just use the caveat. I don't know that we necessarily know what Brooke Lopez is yet either, which, boy, then, it's, it's been a strange few years for the Nets, hasn't it? <laughs> it's a weird thing to say about a guy that's, that's on the back end of his career, essentially. I mean, but do you think I'm wrong about that? Because, I mean, think about what Brooke Lopez has been through. You know, as, yeah. as a player, as a human being, he's been through so much and so many regime changes and you know, maybe if I Avery Johnson credit. were still around, we would have some sense of at least some sort of baseline. But what is what is the baseline for anyone who's been on the Nets as long as Brooke Lopez? To Lopez's credit, he's added things to his game over time that people yeah. saw as flaws. So maybe, you know, he, he's getting up there in age, he's had these injuries, maybe he will look to be more of an off-ball guy, not uh, demand the isos in the post that he always does. Mm. And there are some things that mm. make me think that Jeremy Lin could really have a successful year here in Brooklyn. First of all, he's back with Kenny Atkinson. You mentioned him. And Lynn in the past has credited Atkinson for, for the whole insanity even happening. Uh, Atkinson obviously sees the potential in him. Uh, there's no expectations. I mean, it's the Nets. <laughs> he's kind of free to just uh, sort of do, do, what he, do what he wants to do. And yeah, I mean, I mean, can we just say about that point, Jeremy Lynn is is, if anything significantly underrated at this point if he's anything like the player that I believe him to be. No, Nobody expects Lynn to come close to insanity. In fact, the fact that he's been league average over the past few years is something that would have escaped a lot of people uh, as well. We think he's been some sort of um, you know, some sort of garbage player. Where it was, of course, he hasn't been anything of the sort despite these you know, extremely difficult circumstances and situations. So you know, if if Lynn approaches that, it will again catch people by surprise, which is sort of amazing about one of the most famous players in the NBA today. That'd be pretty amazing if he could do it twice. Yeah. But, uh, I definitely have questions about his ability to still do it, and, and you know, just the fact that the Nets roster is, isn't quite uh, what he needs. Uh, I feel like they don't have the shooters quite yet. They have Randy Foy, not really sure how much he's going to play. Rondé Hollis Jefferson is probably going to get a lot of wing minutes. He can't shoot at all, really. Uh, Louis yeah. Scola and Trevor Booker at the four. Yeah, they can stretch the floor a bit, but you know how much. But let, let me let me bring it to this point. I, I think th- this is if Jeremy Lin does what do you think he's going to do. It, let's say he puts up astronomical numbers, like insanity level, like those first ten games. He puts up close to twenty points a game, seven assists, good efficiency. Is it a moot point in the end? Because the thing is about Linsanity was he was doing all that, and the point was they were winning. They were winning games that they weren't winning before the Knicks were. Uh, they went on this winning streak, and, and that was the whole thing about Linsanity was he, he was able to do this and carry this team. And It, it looked like the Knicks weren't going to make the playoffs until Linsanity happened. But yeah, I, with, I mean, even with big Jeremy Lin this year, hmm. are the Nets going to crack 35 games? Which is a great question. And, and you know, we don't know how good a team can be with Jeremy Lin playing at, you know, let's say elite levels are close to it. 
And so let's even, let's split the difference, right? <clears throat> Lynn's around, you know, 14-15 player efficiency rating for years. He was at 19-9 during Lynn's sanity. Let's say he's an 18 player efficiency rating point guard, which would surprise a lot of people. And the net result of that would be significant raw numbers you would have to figure. A guy's doing that as one of the primary uh, scorers, you know, playing 35 minutes a game, he'll, he'll put up he'll put up numbers that will draw attention and draw notice. Yeah. What will that mean? It's hard to say. You know, yeah, those Knicks went on a winning streak. And then, you know, when, when Anthony returned, and then there was, you know, sort of a battle to integrate Anthony, integrate Amari with what Lynn was doing, the Knicks didn't continue to win. If, you know, they even the same year of Lynn Sanity replaced their coach. And, you know, I, I had Mike Woodson down the stretch. He's really, um, even during Lynn Sanity, he didn't have a stable year at all. No, not, he, he never, ever has. And so it will be fascinating to see what stability does for it. You, you know, again, even that, when you look at his numbers last year in Charlotte and the fact that in fits and starts playing without uh, Kemba Walker, his numbers weren't quite at the insanity level. Well, a part of what made it so good that year with the Knicks was he had all the time in the world to figure it out because he was on the floor for most of those games. D'Antoni knew he was riding him into the ground, and he kept at it. And so I saw Lynn figure things out over the course of games and take over in the second or the third or the fourth. And he's smart enough to see it, and maybe you're not able to see it and then bring it to bear if you're in for six minutes at the start of the second quarter and then Kemba Walker's back. Um, that, that's no shot on Kem, at Kemba Walker, but it just reflects the um, the nature of the position that Jeremy Lynn plays. And so can he do enough to lead the Nets to a lot of victories? Like you said, it, it's there's not a ton of today-ready talent around him. And, you know, the one thing that he doesn't have that's really, really a shame um, and something obviously he'd like to see is he, he could use more perimeter shooters to yeah. help maximize what he brings to the table in terms of his ability to get to the rim. Um, it'll be fascinating to see. And, and in terms of the wins, I would say I'm a lot less sure of that um, just simply because we do not know in a team context what to expect. Um, to me, to my mind, nearly as much as we know um, what we can potentially expect from him as an individual. If I had to make my prediction, I don't think the talent around him is quite right. I think Kenny Atkinson's going to give him systematically what he needs, maybe not the pieces around him. And I, I still want to see if if that I, – I, I'm not calling Lansanity a fluke. I'm just saying it was a perfect just – the planets lined up, and it, you know it was something. Okay, can I can I just speak about that? Because I ahead. don't think that's true. And I'm going to take you through. Really, Look, Steve Novak would be really helpful on this team in the same way that Steve Novak was really helpful during Linsanity. That's the type of shooter who can be maximized by Jeremy Lin. But understand, with Anthony out, yes, you had Chandler. Right, and then let's get beyond Chandler. These are the quote-unquote perfect conditions 
for Linsanity. I'm going to read you a list of names. You ready? Sure. Okay. Ronaldo Balkman. Oh, come Mike on. Mike <laughs> Baron Davis. Tony Douglas. Oh, Andrew Fields. Dan Gizurek. Josh Harrelson. <laughs> oh, I, I love Josh You're reading the bottom up. That's the thing. He had Jared Jeffries. No, I'm reading them alphabetically, to be fair. Okay. Oh, okay. But you had Iman Shumpert, that Iman Field, Shumpert. and that Bill Walker on this Nets team. Those were the three best wings on this Nets team. You might, you might be right, but that's a different question than were conditions perfect for insanity. They were not perfect. Oh, well, listen, he didn't have. They were not perfect. Henry no. Walker. Okay. Shoot the ball. Spread the floor. Play. Play the four. I, listen, I, I like Henry Walker, and and I and I, we'll, we'd have a different podcast where I defend J.R. Smith for like eight hours, but that's neither here nor there. Like, the point of it is, it was not some great. He was not playing for the Golden State Warriors. Like that's not where sure. insanity happened. But so, expectations were down then too. Their their big stars were out. You know. Uh, well, get no, but forget the expectations. I'm just saying from a basketball perspective, right? That was not some sort of like Lynn engineered team. And so and neither are the Nets. And yes, as you go through that, like like Josh Harrelson would probably be the second best three point shooter on this Nets team. You know, I, I mean that that's that's a real <laughs> glaring weakness of this roster, there's no question about it. Yeah. But what so I'm gonna throw it out there, right? I'm gonna say I think Lynn's and, and I'm using P E R not because it's a perfect step, but just as a catch all. So I'm gonna Say he's going to have a PER of 18 this year. What okay. do you think it's going to be? I can see that. I was actually going to throw uh, raw stats, j- just um, oh, maybe right. give a, a more fuller image. I- I'm going to say 16 points a game, maybe around 16, mm-hmm. 17, uh, six to eight assists, and the efficiency. I don't. I think it's going to be about uh, where his career has been. I don't think it's going to go up back to really? insanity levels when it wasn't even. It was good. Well, it so wasn't. insanity was nineteen nine. Okay. Yeah. So, so what are we talking about? You think like last year he was thirteen eight? So you want a per? I'll give him. Yeah. I, I think maybe maybe a, a seventeen. So we're really not that far apart. Yeah, we're not you even know, doing that number much. here, number there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have him at, at 18, and, and but I, I guess the difference is I think you have him at 17, and you would be expecting or at least not surprised if it's lower. I have him at 18, and I would not be surprised if it's higher. The, I, I think what's interesting about this argument here is that neither of I don't think me or you would be surprised if the other thing happened. I wouldn't be surprised if Jeremy Lamb. No, especially because you think it. Like, <laughs> for that reason alone. But would you but, be surprised if Lynn had just an eh, eh all right season? Yes, I, let me let really? me say that I would be that would surprise me. I, like you never know in the future. Like maybe he picks up a knee injury in the preseason and it limits him, and then he can't get to the hoop the way he normally does, and yeah. his numbers drop. I mean, you know, lots of things happen in basketball, and so sure, um, I, I'll put it this way: I'll, I'll use these caveats for it. If Lynn is fully healthy and gets the opportunity to run this team for thirty to thirty. Five minutes a game. There's not some weird thing where suddenly Isaiah Whitehead is playing more than half the time. You know, things of of that sort, right? He gets that clean shot and he's healthy. Yeah, it would surprise me if he wasn't significantly better than he's been over the last few years, given that the last few years have really not been an opportunity for Lynn to play like Lynn. 
You heard it from the man himself. Howard Magdal, thank you very much for coming on. I'm going to let you get back to your family because I, I still want to be here for a bit too long. Um, where can people find Not you? You want, to, you want to plug a Twitter or something? Sure. At Howard Magdal, H-O-W-A-R-D-M-E-G-D-A-L. We'll be covering the NBA like crazy. Um, you know, obviously also covering the WNBA until the end of uh, that season with the exciting playoffs around the corner. Uh, you can find me at Vice Sports, Political New York, uh, USA Today, uh, maybe some other unexpected outlets in the in the weeks ahead, and uh, looking forward to it. You need to come on again for two reasons. One, one of us is going to be right at some point mid season <laughs> or at the end of the season. Two, I don't think there's many other guests that can get on where we can drop WNBA jokes like your uh, Sarazi quip earlier <laughs> and get away with it. I I don't know if people will recognize it, but you know what? Uh, it's fun for us. That's awesome. No, listen, what well, well, at all-star weekend, we'll get together, do a show with you, me, we'll get Lynn, who's obviously on the team at that point, and maybe we'll see what Emma Meesman's up to. Maybe we should call in from Belgium. Uh, we should get Jeremy Lynn to get a, to get a stylist on, too, I think. Oh, that sounds good. Lord knows I need to. All right. Thanks again for coming on, Howard. Have a good one. Thank you. You, too. And that wraps up today's episode of Locked On Nets. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed, five stars on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. And subscribe to make sure you keep up with the latest. Thank you very much. See you next time. Let me see them hands high.